1: Under the Jews, a stumbling block, under the Greeks, foolishness, but under them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God.
0: Now, here's your host, Thomas Irvin.
2: Our first lesson is going to be. It's the Christian's view of God's word. All right. Now, everybody has an opinion about this. Everybody has an opinion about God's word, where it's at, what it is. Even atheists have an opinion about God's word. It's interesting how much time an atheist spends fighting against a God they don't believe exists. I mean, that, that would seem counterproductive. You will never find me fighting against Santa Claus or Smurfs or anything made up because we know it's made up. If you believe God doesn't exist and you believe God's word is not real, then why, why are you so intent on fighting against it? It's a, it's a silly idea, but they, they fight hard against it. Now, as Christians, we need something very important. We need guidance. Everybody needs this guidance. But not everybody has it. Not everybody is willing to do what is necessary to have access to it. Turn to Psalm 119. This is one of my, my favorite passages in the Bible. Psalm 119. And verse 19. And I'll... Think about this as, as uh, in your Bible, you're going to hear this mentioned a lot as we go through various courses, you see that a lot, a colon, or you'll see a semi-colon, and you'll see commas, all right? Now, a colon is when you have two complete sentences, one on, on, on each side of the colon. And what God is doing, and what anyone who uses a colon should be doing, is taking one complete truth over here, and one complete truth over here. But these two truths, these two sentences are so intertwined, you can't have one without the other. So you'll have a complete sentence here, and you'll have a complete sentence on this side of it. But the two don't stand alone. That's, that's why, in, to some extent, it's folly to, to only examine a verse on one side of that colon. Now it's okay to go step by step through it, but to get the whole picture, you need both sides of that colon. All right? Now, this this verse perfectly illustrates that. Look at verse 19. Psalm 119 verse 19. I am a stranger in the earth, hide not thy commandments from me. What does a stranger need? They need some guidance. What's the guidance God offers? His commands, His word. We need the word of God to guide us through this world, through this life. And without it, you have nothing. You walk into any bookstore anywhere in the world, even in Uganda, and the biggest section in that bookstore will be self-help books: how to do this, how to do that, how to be happy, how to be joyful how to be a good employee, how to be an entrepreneur. It's, a, it's, all, it's all geared towards better, making your life better in some way, whether it's mental, emotional, spiritual, uh, economic. Everyone's looking for something. They're looking for some guidance, something that's going to help make their life better. God said, you're, a, you're supposed to be a stranger in this earth. We are pilgrims and strangers making our way through this earth Until we get to our home. Which is with the Lord Jesus Christ. Until you get there. You need guidance. You need God's commands. Hide not thy commandments from me. I'm a stranger in the earth. Hide not thy commandments from me. This person is saying. This world is strange to me. It's odd to me. I need something to help me. And the answer is the word of God. Now. Now. Where is the Word of God? How are you going to find it? If you look in English, you'll find hundreds of books that call it calls itself that call themselves the Word of God. Which one is it and And this is where the fight comes in. this is where the arguments come in. this is where <clears throat> even in our own circles, we're supposed to be by extension of Brother Keith coming here and starting his ministry here and planting churches here and a Bible school here, you are an extension of fundamental Bible-believing churches that ascend from the United States of America. And they can't agree where the Word of God is. Now, if you ask them, is this the Word of God? They'll say, it's the best we have. Very few will say the King James Bible is the perfect Word of God. They'll say it's it's the best translation we have okay if either one of those is true if it's all we have or it's just the best translation that we can work with then what you're saying by default is you don't have the word of God you have no guidance you have no commands you have nothing to refer to in order to understand what God wants how he wants you to live what he wants you to do for all you know Scribal error put 1 Corinthians 15 in the Bible, which is the most clear presentation of the gospel you will find anywhere in the Word of God. And the same chapter says, If Christ be not risen, you are yet in your sins. If we can't depend on the Word of God to tell us what God says, and we've got to go to this mythological creature called the Greek, then we're in trouble. Raise your hand if you speak Greek. I didn't think so. I don't either. And the men who say they refer to the Greek, neither do they. (laughs) They go to a lexicon or a Greek dictionary. They'll say, well, in the originals, um, now when you say that, what that makes the people who hear that think is that this man has the knowledge and ability and access to the originals and he's capable of reading them, understanding them, and then telling you what it says in the originals. Does anybody here know where the original copy of the book of Jeremiah is? Anybody? It was cut with a penknife and thrown in a fire. And then what did God do afterwards? He said, sit down, get another scroll, we're going to write the same words, and we're going to add more to it. God didn't say, oh no, <laughs> that was my only copy. <laughs> what am I going to do now? It's not up to, see, See this battle over where the word of God is, it, it, it's men trying to reason out the limitations of men and taking no consideration for the 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 origins of the word of God, God himself. So God's not limited to the ability or the capability or the inability or the the, uh, fallibility of man. That's not a problem for God. And when you limit yourself to looking at the extent to which man could be possibly able to preserve God's word, You've mistaken the entire issue. God said he would preserve his word. That's it. All right, so you need, a, you need guidance. And <clears throat> the source of this guidance is the foundation for your worldview. A worldview, the way that you view the world around you. Something's going to determine that. Something's going to to influence the way that you think about the world that you see and that you touch and that you interact with. And it's going to be your own personal opinion. Or it's going to be the opinions of others. Or it's going to be the word of God. And that's what makes us so strange. (laughs) We believe it's the word of God. But we're even stranger than that. We believe this is the perfect word of God. Without error, without mistake, you can build your entire life on it, and you can bet your entire eternal existence on it. God left us, left us his word. Now, it's going to be up to me this semester to demonstrate to you why this book is the word of God. Because we, we, we've, got, we've got a couple of problems here. And, and I'm going to, at the moment, I'm going to speak to um, our circle this is what men do. They hold this book up at a, in a church and they say, Bless God, this is the word of God. It's perfect. And everybody cheers and shouts and yells and they get all excited. And praise the Lord, they should. <clears throat> but go ask them why. Why is this book the perfect word of God? Demonstrate to me objectively that that is the word of God. And he can't do it. And that's a mistake. Because now the people who are genuinely searching and really trying to understand, if, if they can't be sold to follow that man, they're not going to believe him. People get attached to personalities, and that's, that's okay as long as that personality is pointing you in the right direction. Paul said, follow me even as I, have, as I follow Christ. So as long as the person you're following is going to point you to the Lord Jesus Christ, that's okay. But... If you, can't be, if you can't be sold on a personality and you ask that man, why is this the word of God? And he can't demonstrate that to you. Are you going to believe him? Why would you? Everybody, I think everybody who, who loves the Lord wants that to be true. But not everybody has, been, has had it demonstrated to them to be true. And that's a big problem. And it's a big hang-up for a lot of people, and that's, that's reasonable. That's, that's not unreasonable, but it's as much their responsibility to find out as it is for the man who said it to be able to demonstrate it to them. Every Christian has the responsibility to know the Word of God, to know where it came from, to know how it was preserved, and have an understanding of where they're going with it. You can't put that onus on someone else. <clears throat> so we're strangers here. We are estranged from the world's customs of morality and culture. Or at least you're supposed to be. A big problem in Uganda is you get saved, you trust in Jesus Christ, then you go back with your family and continue doing exactly what you were doing before you were saved. <clears throat> now, that, that's a problem everywhere. But it's, your, your culture here is deeply entrenched in you. And you've got to be able to take a step back and look at, at, look at your cultural norms and your family norms, and, and ask yourself, is this okay with God? And if it's not, you need to break from it. It's not an insult to your culture. You're insulting God when you follow in your culture in areas that are ungodly. And you don't want to do that. You want to break from the culture. Well, where would you learn to do that? <clears throat> what would you use to determine whether this was good or bad? Someone's opinion? Or would you go to the word of God? Well, where is the Word of God? <laughs> if we don't have the Word of God, you're in serious trouble. But we do. We are estranged from the world's religions and ethics. They get so mad at us. Why can't we just join hands and, and hang out together? <laughs> we can't. We're going two different directions. How are we going to join hands? You're following a religion. I'm following the Word of God. That, that's two very distinct Different directions. And they're not going the same way. And I have no intention to follow them. As strangers here, we're traveling through uncomfortable and unfamiliar territory, and we need guidance. I use I, I preach this verse, so look, look quickly at First Corinthians chapter six. And, and we'll look at this very fast and move on. It's not necessarily part of our Notes here, but it'll give you the idea. First Corinthians six, look at verse nine. <clears throat> "Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God." Now do you see that? Unrighteous. they have no connection to the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the spiritual kingdom. which you enter when you trust in Christ. What's the opposite of the kingdom of God? Kingdom of heaven, which is the physical earthly. All right, so he's saying here, if you're unrighteous, you have no place in the kingdom of God. None. Well, that's all of us. We have no righteousness of our own to speak of. So what are we going to do? You trust in Jesus Christ, and he gives you his righteousness. That's what makes you fit for it. Now, as the passage continues, though, know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God, be not deceived, neither fornicators. Okay, so if you're a stranger in the earth, fornication should be strange to you. Okay, if you've been made fit for the kingdom of God, then that means you have nothing to do with fornicators. And when you see it on television, or you hear it talked about, or you hear it in a song, or you you see it alluded to in some way, or you're given the opportunity to participate in the physical act, it should be strange to you. You should immediately be able to look at that and say, no, I am fit for the kingdom of God. And because I am fit for the kingdom of God through the blood of Jesus Christ, fornication is strange to me. I met eyes with the way this world thinks about fornication. They make it look beautiful. They make it sound so wonderful. Yeah, until the diseases pop up or babies start coming out, and then you find out you've offended God, and he's going to cast you into hell. Where'd all the beauty go? There's a very real reality that comes with playing and toying with God. But the verse continues. Nor idolaters... Whatever you put before God, God says it's idolatry. And if that's a practice that you have, whether it's your culture, it's your family, it's your country, it's your political position, it's your favorite football team, whatever it is that you put before God, it's idolatry. God said that's what unrighteous people who are not fit for the kingdom of God, that's how they live. That's what they do. But that's not us, right? I hope not. Nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate. Effeminate. To be effeminate, the the literal definition of the word effeminate is that which demands reproach in men. It's when a man acts in a, a soft and womanly way. God said, you're not supposed to be effeminate. You're supposed to be a man. So act like it. Well, what's a man? Where would you go to find out what a man is and how a man's supposed to live and what a man is supposed to do? If you're a stranger in the earth, you're going to go to God's commandments. You're going to go to God's word. You're going to try and, and, and understand these things and, and be taught by these things. And nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind. Now, I don't think that needs much explanation here. As far as I know, that's punishable by life in prison in Uganda. When when a man and a man do that which is unnatural, God said, you are abusing yourself. It's improper. It's wrong. It's disgusting. It's unnatural. And it's not fit for the kingdom of God, no matter how how, how often people today try to say that it is. Verse 10, nor thieves... If someone hires you to do a job and you spend your time on your phone playing or you show up late but collect full pay or if you can do a job but you let people give you money instead rather than working and earning your own money, you're a thief. Especially if you're a man and and God said if a man doesn't work, neither should he eat. So if you don't spend your day working and laboring and, and doing what you can to earn and provide for your own, according to God, you're unrighteous and you're not fit for the kingdom of God. Now, who who but God would put that there? What man is gonna say, well, he's just using his phone half the day? It's okay, he can still go to heaven. Not God. He expects you to do what you say you're going to do for the price you say you're going to do it and then finish the job and do it to the glory and honor of God. Otherwise, you're a thief. Nor covetous. You got your eyes on things that don't belong to you or that you can't afford or that, that, that somebody else has and, and you're so, you so desire it that it just ruins your day. That's akin to, to idolatry. Nor drunkards. Now, if you, if you just go witnessing right, at, right down the church driveway, you'll meet one of the, the local drunks. And that man should be able to encourage you to never take a drink of alcohol. Just one look at him and his life and the way that he lives should demonstrate to you the potential if you're going to drink alcohol. God said, it's like a serpent. It's going to bite you. It's going to hurt you. You know, one of the number one causes of death between people ages 15 and 25 worldwide is alcohol. One of the most destructive forces in your home that will break up your family, that will destroy your finances, and that will ruin your children, alcohol. Everybody just toys with it. There's a restaurant here in town we we like to go to and get coffee. It's called Plot 99. It's a great place. And they're going to save the world by removing plastic. So, me being the wonderful personality that I am, I went home and looked up how many people die per year from plastic. And there is no accurate estimation. They say somewhere between 400,000 and 1 million. (laughs) When someone gives you a range between 400,000 and 1 million, they're lying to you. It means we don't know, but we got to make something up. And if you look at all the articles who make these claims, you'll see that what they're talking about are people who live next to landfills. You can't blame that on plastic. They live next to filth. Of course it's going to harm them. You know how many people die from alcohol every single year? And it's a a hard, objective fact. Three million people. In America, we have this, this drug on the streets called fentanyl. It's a horrible drug. In 2017, it killed 70,000 people. And the president, the government said, oh, this is a pandemic. It's a state of emergency. We've got to do something about it. Well, I, okay, I mean, that's, I'd like to see that drug gone off the streets. But every single year, for, for years, alcohol has killed 80,000 people per year in the United States of America. Consistently, No pandemic, no endemic, no emergency. Because the people, the people in charge, they drink alcohol, but they don't shoot up fentanyl. So God said, if you're a drunkard, you're unrighteous, nor revilers, nor extortioners. None of these people shall inherit the kingdom of God. Now, as you read through that list, as a, as a pilgrim and a stranger in the earth, these things should be odd to you. You should have no, no comfort level with these things. As soon as you see them, you should immediately feel odd because we're strangers. We don't participate in these things. We live in accord with the word of God and we have the word of God. As our guide, Christians believe God's word, but we believe it is infallible. I mean infallible means it has no error it is perfect It, it is you you can have you can have unbelievable confidence in it that that's infallible now that is our position on the word of God that's my position on the word of God I hope that's your position on the word of God but if you say it is can you tell me why can you demonstrate to someone why this book is perfect? And if that's not your position, can you demonstrate why? If you think this book has errors and problems, are you going to be able to show those to me? We go out street preaching in America and people come up all the time. They say, you know, that book's full of contradictions. I say, good, show me one. Well, I, I don't, I don't know No, you don't know. Have you read it? Well, no, no, I ha- haven't read it. Okay, so you're a hypocrite and you're a liar. What you did was you heard somebody say this book has contradictions and you agreed with them with no proof whatsoever. So you thought you'd walk up to a Bible-believing Christian and tell him that it has contradictions and you didn't think I was going to call you out on it. And most Christians don't. There are many people who would stand on that same street corner, had that same person come up and say that book has contradictions and they would just cringe. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do other than be dogmatic. No, it doesn't. <laughs> okay, well, show me it doesn't. You need to be able to do that. It is your job. If you're going to take that position, you need to be able to defend it. Can you provide an answer for the hope that is within you? And so, Lord willing, this semester, I'm going to teach you how to do that. Um, in Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Let's look at that quickly. Jesus is risen from the dead. Acts 1, verses 1 through 3. The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up, after that he, he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen." to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Jesus said, I, I, not only, I didn't just raise from the dead and then have people go out and say that. I demonstrated, I, I made it clear to people with many infallible proofs. I showed this to be factual, credible, very real. And people today, they argue whether Jesus even existed. There is more factual, historical documentation to the to, to the to the life of Jesus Christ than just about anything in this world. can—it's rare to find something so heavily documented and something so factually clear. Now, you don't have to believe he's God. But you have to, at the very basic level, believe he existed. That, that is just sheer ignorance to say, no, I don't think he even lived. Okay, well, there's no hope for you. I don't know what to do to help you because if, if you were going to make statements and you were going to say things based on reality, I might be able to help you. <laughs> but since you've decided to go live in la-la land, I don't know what to do for you. Jesus Christ lived. He died on the cross the third day he rose from the dead. Even that is, is historically documented. He was dead and now we see him walking around alive. We, I, I don't know what to tell you. That, that is historical fact that that happened. Now again, you don't have to believe what the Bible says about it. You don't have to believe Jesus is who he says he is. But you do, if you want to live in the realm of reality, have to believe that a man named Jesus lived and died, and hundreds of people saw him after his death. <laughs> you might not be able to explain it, and you might not believe the Bible's explanation of it, but you, you have to at least admit that those, those, that those facts exist, and many people are not willing to do that. Look at Luke chapter 24. Luke 24, and we'll read verses 17 through 27. And he said unto them, What manner of communication are these that ye have one to another as ye walk and are sad? And the one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answering, said unto him, Are thou only a stranger in Jerusalem, and hast not known the things which are come to pass there uh, there in these days? And he said unto them, What things? And they said unto him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet mighty indeed and and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests... And our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And beside all this, today is the third day since those things were done. There's a lot lot I'd like to talk about right there. Did he not tell them that's exactly what was going to happen? You know, he came, he died on the cross. He said he was going to come die on the cross. It was prophesied he would be nailed to a tree. What's the problem? Well, we hoped he'd be the one to redeem Israel. Uh, Okay. That's the problem. Your own self-interest has blinded you. And when it comes to these people who hate God, and they hate the word of God, and they hate the possibility of the infallibility of God, they have generally some personal self-interest in mind. And then they go so far as to say, it's been the third day. (laughs) What did the Lord say was going to happen on the third day? He's coming out of that grave. And he did. And now he's walking side by side with them. Verse 22. Yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished. So let's let's try to put this together. It's the third day. And we don't know where Jesus is. But we went to the tomb (laughs) and he wasn't there. I don't know. Did he do maybe what he said he was going to do and rose from the dead the third day? And then he went and demonstrated that by many infallible proofs. So they astonished which were early at the sepulchre, verse 23. And when they found not his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels, which said that he was alive. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulchre and found it even so as the women had said, but him they saw not. Then then he said unto them, O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. What's this book about? What's, What's the fuss? The Bible. What's this book about? It's about Jesus. If this book wasn't about Jesus, I believe people would accept it. They'd receive it. But because it presents to them the perfect son of God, who was sinless, who was harmless, who was undefiled, and now he expects them to live the same way, uh, we can't have that, no. I don't want any accountability over me, so I'm not going to subject myself to a book written by a bunch of ignorant men. I am, and I hope you are. Acts chapter 28, verses 17 through 24. And it came to pass, after three days, Paul called the chief of the Jews together, and when they were come together, he said unto them, Men and brethren, though I have committed nothing against the people or customs of our fathers, yet was I delivered prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans, who when they had examined me would have let me go because because there was no cause of death in me. But when the Jews spake against it, I was constrained to appeal unto Caesar, not that I had aught to accuse my nation of. For this cause, therefore, have I called for you, to see you, and to speak with you, because that for the hope of Israel I am bound with this chain. And they said unto him, We neither receive letters out of Judea concerning thee, neither any of the brethren that came showed or spake any, spake any harm of thee, but we desire to hear of thee. Now, this is where it goes wrong. <laughs> we want to hear what you have to say. The moment he begins preaching about Jesus, things go off rails. And as everybody, everybody's a Christian, everybody's okay with Christianity, everybody loves Christianity until you start nailing down who Jesus is from the Word of God. And then nobody likes you anymore. Nobody wants anything to do with you. If you'll go out in the street and pretend we're all Christians and we all just do the same thing and believe the same thing and we just love each other and everything's okay, well, that's fine as long as you have no attachment to truth but as soon as you start pinning things down, well, the Bible says this, Jesus is this, this is who he is, this is what he did. You're, you're a bigot. I don't want anything to do with you. <laughs> so as soon as you start talking about Jesus, back to verse 22, "...but we desire hear of thee what thou thinkest. For as concerning this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. And when they had appointed him a day, there came, there came many to him and, uh, into his lodging." Uh, to whom he expounded and testified the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus, both out of the law of Moses and out of the prophets from morning till evening. And some believed the things which were spoken, and some believed not. Now, when Paul wanted to tell them who Jesus was, where did he go? To the word of God. If you want to tell people who Jesus is, where are you going to go? To the Word of God. Where is the Word of God? And why do you say that whatever you say is the Word of God is the Word of God? Can you demonstrate it to people? Can you help people understand? Can you show it to them? If you can't, you have a gap in your faith that you need to fill in. You need to build up. And so... The, the, the Bible, the Word of God, it's about Jesus Christ. Christ declared the Old Testament writers wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Look at Mark chapter 12. So the Word of God is about Jesus. And the Lord is going to demonstrate to us that, now this is Jesus talking, right? That when the men in the Old Testament wrote, they wrote under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. This is how all the Word of God was given to us. It's no different in the New Testament. We're going to see that, Lord willing. And, and this is how it was given to us in the Old Testament. Now, I understand some of this might seem basic, but we're going to, we're going to start here, and we're going to build a foundation, and we're, and we're going to go up from here and and... Try to work these things out. Mark 12, verses 35 and 36. Mark twelve thirty-five, And Jesus answered and said, while, while he taught in the temple, How say the scribes that Christ is the son of David? For David himself said, by what? The Holy Ghost. The Lord said to my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. So was this David's, was this David's opinion? What king wants to elevate another man that he's never met, never heard of, he never knew the name of Jesus above himself? The Holy Spirit did. Now in Acts chapter 1, the Lord said the Holy Spirit would come, you would receive him, and then what is he going to cause you to do? Testify of Jesus. So when this man was inspired by the Holy Spirit, what did he do? He wrote about Jesus. He told about Jesus, the coming Messiah, the coming Savior, the one who's going to be elevated above even King David, Israel's great and precious king. Christ declared the scriptures cannot be broken. Look at John 10. One of the things I ask people when they come to me and they say... um, they say, you know, that, you know that, that book's not true. You know, it's, it's full of contradictions. It's got problems. And I ask them to, to, to demonstrate it to me, and they can't. Or I'll say to them, okay, I'll, I'll play the game. All right? You're telling me it's full of errors. You're telling me it's full of contradictions. I'm going to assume, then, that you have read all the things, all the assertions the Word of God makes about itself, and you were able to prove that the Bible was wrong in its assertions. Everything that it says about itself. Well, no, I haven't done that. Well, then how can you tell me it's not true? I'm not even asking you if you've read the parts of the Word of God that talk about other subjects. I'm asking you, have you at the very least gone to the Bible, find out what it says about itself, and you took the time to prove that the Bible was wrong? Well, no, I haven't done that. Okay, then shut up. I don't want to hear what you have to say. And this is all part of intellectual honesty. That's a very important term that you need to understand and you need to know. As Christians, it's extremely important if we're going to make claims, we can back them up. Or at least be honest and say, I I know this to be true, but, but I can't show it. I can't demonstrate it to you properly. I'm sorry. They become very dogmatic. And they just shout and yell. And so you're just making a bunch of noise. You can't prove anything you're saying. And it might be right. You might be repeating what's true. But if you hear somebody say something, and then you go and you parrot it, and you just repeat it without verifying it or without understanding it, you're no different than the guy who heard his atheistic professor talk bad about the Bible and then come to me on the street and say, you know, that Bible's not true. He doesn't know that at all. He heard somebody say that, and then he went and he repeated that. And so you can't just listen to somebody say something and then go repeat it. You need to know, and you need to be able to explain, and you need to be able to demonstrate what you say you believe. The Bible says you are to give an answer for the hope that is within you, not just make claims. Anybody can do that. That's what the internet is for. It's full of people just saying stuff. And you ask them, can you show me where you got that from? Well, I, I mean, I got it from my brain. <laughs> I just made it up. I, don't, I didn't get it from anywhere. I, I, didn't, uh, I didn't know you were going like, to ask me to explain myself. <laughs> well, yeah, you need to be able to explain yourself. And it's important to be intellectually honest. That's what intellectual honesty is. It, it's just because you disagree with someone doesn't mean you can't concede that you can't answer their objections. The more honest you'll be with them, the more they will respect you, and the longer that conversation can carry on. But when you just shout and yell and insult them because they don't agree with you, you destroy the relationship and you destroy your ability to have an honest, open conversation with that person. You don't have all the answers right now. I certainly don't have all the answers right now. I want to gain as many answers as I possibly can. But when somebody addresses me and asks me a question about something I don't have an answer to, I need to be ready to be honest. The Lord said, thou shalt not bear false witness. When you go and you shout things that you have no understanding of, you're bearing false witness. You don't know what you're talking about. So you need to know. You need to do it all that you can to understand so that when you make the claim and someone says, can you show me that? You say, yes, I can. Here it is in the Bible. Here it is in history. Here it is wherever it is. Whatever the basis of your claim is, you need to be able to back it up. Does that make sense? And if you don't do that, you're in trouble. Christ was making an argument from Scripture regarding Himself. His position was that since Scripture cannot be broken... His argument must be true. Scripture cannot be broken, according to Jesus Christ Himself. And if Scripture cannot be broken, then everything that the Old Testament said about, as matter when we go out and we preach the gospel, what do we tell them? How that Christ died for your sins, according to what? The Scriptures, the scriptures. and that He was buried, and He rose again the third day, according to what? The Scriptures. I, look, I, you know I understand if you're having trouble believing this, but I read it, I believe it, and I can show it to you in the word of God, and not only so, but thousands of years before it happened, God said it would happen, then it happened just like God said it would happen. And I can show that to you historically, and I can show that to you biblically, and if none of that works for you, I will pray for you, but I don't know what to do for you. But we need to be able to show people, and, and this is what the Lord is doing. As a matter of fact, these men are not believing. You know, if you go back, if you, if you look back to what we were talking about in Luke, in Luke 24, these men don't believe. They said, he said he was going to die and raise again the third day, and it's the third day. And so people went to the tomb, and he wasn't there. What do you think that means? <laughs> he rose from the dead. They didn't believe. So he went back through all the scriptures, and he showed them. He demonstrated to them. <laughs> The Old Testament told you I was going to do that. And then when I was here, I told you I was going to do that. And now it's done and you're walking around town looking sad like you don't know what happened. And so we can't be those people. We need to be on the Lord's side, capable of explaining what we say we believe. And demonstrating it and showing it to people. So take the time and care to do that. Now when when we make our case against the world... On God's behalf, using Scripture to do so, we're always correct. <clears throat> not because we're so great, because the Word of God is great. Because the Word of God is true. So when you can take the, the Bible and you can open it up and you can, you can show somebody from the Word of God what you're doing is wrong according to God, you're always right. Now, you want to do it in a good spirit and with a good attitude, and you want to, if, you want to make sure your intent is to help and not just destroy and, and, and harm people, but, but when, we, when we take a position according to the Word of God, it's right. And so when the people around us who claim to have the same position become offended when they're confronted with that and they get mad and they want to leave and they don't want to come to that church anymore and you're mean and you're bigoted and you're all these things, if you stood on the Word of God with understanding and you, and you did your best to clearly demonstrate it from the Word of God, you were right. It's unfortunate how people respond to those, those ideas and to that truth, but that's up to them. You can get mad and you can leave. You can get mad and you can, you, can, you can get mad at the Word of God. You can get mad at the man who opened the Word of God and showed you that you're doing something wrong. I, I understand. I get it. I don't want to be confronted. But it's up to me to have a good attitude and a good spirit because... I, I don't want to be wrong and stay there. And people have had to come to me and say, brother, we need to talk. <laughs> I need to show you something in the Bible and I think it might pertain to your life. Okay? They show it to me and if it's true, I need to admit, yeah, you're right. I'm doing something wrong and I want it out of my life. I want to be closer to Christ not further away from Christ, and you move yourself further away from Christ and further away from the Word of God when you become offended by the truth. So you need to settle that in your heart and your mind now. Do you believe God and do you want to do what God says? Or are you ready for a fight? Who do you think you are telling me? <laughs> no, who do you think you are rebelling against the Word of God? That's the problem. The problem is not me telling you and showing you in the Bible. The problem is that you've got a terrible attitude towards what God says. Is this book the Word of God or not? If it is, then we need to do what it says, even when it's painful. My pastor, man, I, I love him. <laughs> but he's tough. Our Bible school, his name is James Knox. We call it the School of Hard Knox. Now, when I wanted to be a missionary, I sat down, I told him about what the Lord had put on my heart, and, and my wife and I, we were excited about this idea of islands in Uganda. I didn't even know there were islands in Uganda. It's a landlocked country. Where are there islands in, in Uganda? <laughs> then I learned about Lake Victoria, and I learned about the Sese Islands, and that's what drew my attention to Uganda. And so I go, and I tell him about it. I said, man, I, I'm excited. I think it'd be great. But we need to talk about some things. <laughs> Okay? <laughs> and he brought up flaws in my character that he wanted to see corrected before he would allow us to, to be sent out of our church and to go from church to church in America asking for money to go halfway around the world and live as Christians. That was not easy to hear. You know, I'm thinking, you know, he's going to be excited. We're going to be missionaries out of this church. He's, it's going to be great. Well, he was excited. But there were also some things that I needed to work on. And he was willing to open the Bible and say, let me show them to you, brother. (laughs) Now, I had two choices. I said, you don't know what you're talking about. There's another church down the road. I'm leaving. Or I could say, I can see that. I need to work on that. And praise the Lord, I did. And got to a point that he felt comfortable Sending, sending me out with a letter of recommendation from our church to be a missionary in Uganda. He, 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 because of that, that, that confrontation, it put me in a position that he can say, I can trust this man halfway around the world with God's money. <laughs> That's a big deal. And a lot of people don't get there because they can't handle the confrontation. They get mad, they get offended, and, and they don't realize what you just did you, got, you didn't get mad and offended at that person. You got mad and offended at the Word of God. You didn't like what God said. And so you became angry and you responded with a bad attitude. And we don't want to do that. If this is the Word of God, we need to humble ourselves and allow ourselves to be su- subject to it. When someone honestly and lovingly points out to us, brother, sister, you got a problem we need to talk about. Here's what it is, I, I, you know I'm not mad at you, I love you, I want to help you get this right, but here's what the Bible says. All right, now the Lord descri- declared the scriptures cannot be broken, and then He said, they will not pass away. Scripture will not pass away. Now it, you know you all know the verse, look at Matthew chapter five, but as we re- read this quickly, I want to it's just something I want you to think about in reference to this, Matthew chapter five uh, verse eighteen. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. What is a jot? Anybody know what a jot is? Or a tittle? The smallest letters in the Hebrew. Language. It's like this. I mean, it's, it's, it, it's, it's like an accent mark <laughs> in, in a word. It's the tiniest aspect of the language. The Lord said, not one jot, not one tittle will pass away. Heaven and earth will pass away before even a dot from the word of God passes away. God said, you see that? You see that in the word of God? That little thing right there? That will outlast heaven and earth. So why would you base your life on anything in heaven and earth Other than that which will outlive heaven and earth. The word of God. What confidence could you have? I mean, we're standing on concrete on top of a massive rock. That's pretty solid, right? Some of you looked at me not so happy when you climbed that hill (laughs) to come up to class. I I thought I was going to have to call a doctor from his tail. And we would have if you needed one, but... This is going to pass away before one little dot in the Word of God will pass away. This building made of concrete, it will dissolve and pass away before one tiny little aspect of the Word of God will pass away. But most people will put more confidence in this rock and this concrete than they will in the Word of God. Now, in order to have the the unshakable confidence I'm speaking of, you need to know where the Word of God is, right? And you need to be able to demonstrate it to people. Lord willing, we will. This view of Scripture carried over into the New Testament as well. 2 Timothy 3, verse 16, a very common verse. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Now, I like to stop here. What does this word mean? All. So which part would be excluded? Nothing. Now, you're, th- you're, th- you're like, Brother Thomas, that's, that's deep. <laughs> No I understand it's incredibly simplistic but you don't know how many people struggle with this is all of it the word of god every single jot every single tittle every single word that god put in this book from genesis to revelation is the word of god and it was all given by inspiration of god look back at verse 16 let's finish the verse All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, and that's why everybody hates it. I mean, imagine the two side by side. Oh, it came from God. Praise the Lord. Oh, and it's profitable for reproof? Correction? Instruction in righteousness? I don't want to be reproved. I don't want to be corrected. But that's what the Word of God is for. Now, you got two choices. You can get in this book, you can study it, you can learn it, and you can allow the book to correct you. Or you can allow your brethren who love you to say, you missed something, let's sit down and talk about this. Let me show you where (laughs) you need to be corrected. And I need to be corrected. And Brother Keith needs to be corrected. And Pastor Paul needs to be corrected. Every single one of us is subject to the word of God. It's there for our correction, it's there for our reproof, but it's also there for our instruction. And if you'll take the instruction, Lord willing, there may not be need for the correction and the reproof. If you'll get in the book and, and be instructed. And that's the way we should try and approach those things. Second Peter chapter 1. <clears throat> Peter chapter 1 verses 20 and, through 21. Knowing this first, that no prophecy... So here we go again. No prophecy. So then, which prophecies don't belong here? (laughs) They all belong. If it's in Genesis to Revelation, no prophecy. Look back at verse 20. Uh, Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man... You need to memorize that passage if you haven't already. You need to be able to show people, no, the word of God didn't come by the will of man. But holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Where did the word of God come from? It was inspired by the Holy Ghost and he used holy men that he moved. Holy men of God were moved. So we're going to look at this again later. We're going, to re- we're going to repeat a lot of these verses as we go through this study because they're all relevant and they kind of in- they interconnect and-, and build upon the foundation we're trying to build. What was inspired? The words or the men? The words. Okay? The primary argument people have to say this can't be the word of God is they say then you have to, you have to believe there was a second inspiration. Well, no, I don't have to believe that. You made that up. <laughs> I don't have to believe that and I don't believe that. So when God had men record the word of, word of God, he moved them to do so. So the men are not inspired. The words are inspired. That's extremely important, because what they'll say is, oh, so you believe in double inspiration. I say, no, that's seminary schoolboy dogma. It means nothing. You and your friends sat around, and you made that up, and now you pass it along throughout seminaries as though it's true. It's not true. So if God moved men to record his word, could he not move men to translate his word? The words are already inspired. There's no inspiration necessary. You just need a movement of God. Does God not move us to preach the gospel? So I'm, I'm I'm a missionary here in Uganda. I just throw a dart at a map and say, okay, I guess I'm moving to Uganda, Africa. No, the Lord worked in my life in such a way as to move us where he wants us to be. So what's the problem with him doing that with the word of God? He's working through men to provide the word of God in another language, which we intend to do here. The Luganda Bible is horrendous. It needs to be fixed. So I'm depending on men, Lord willing, in this room to be used of God to help reconcile that. We're not going to say when it's done, oh, look, God, God inspired his word again. And we're going to address this. In more depth, um, when we get to it, if we get to it, we're not making it very far. <laughs> uh, we got a lot of information to cover, so um, we'll see. We'll, we'll, we'll um, tighten things up as we need to. Acts chapter 7, verse 38. This is he that was in the church in the wilderness with the angel which spake, uh, spake to him in the Mount Sinai and with our fathers who received the lively oracles to give unto us. Now, what is an oracle? Somebody, does anybody know? It is, but uh, there, there's something specific to, to the word. So... What does this word mean? So, the oracles is just God speaking. God gave his word. You know, this is, what, this is why we have to be careful. And, and again, this goes back to intellectual honesty. We say, oh, the Lord spoke to me. Really? Uh, in what way? <laughs> Did you take your medicine today? Or <laughs> Because it misleads people. God speaks to you through his word. Now, you know, I, I, in some of these areas, I'm in a straight betwixt two because I don't say things like this. because I don't think I can be intellectually honest and say, oh, God spoke to me and he told me. <laughs> okay, whatever you say. <laughs> so what you're saying is that you're so special, God spoke to you outside of his word. God speaks to us today through his word. We have the recorded word of God. And that's what we're going to trust. Not whatever idea popped into your head and you're going to give God credit for. Because a lot of people give God credit for ideas that God had nothing to do with. I think the Lord's leading me to divorce my wife. And you wouldn't believe how many people say that and mean it. And when you create a culture where people can come into your church and say, Oh, the Lord spoke to me and he said this. You're opening the door for the Lord to tell them to do a lot of ungodly things. And there's nothing you can do about it. Because if God speaks to you, he must also speak to them. So we stick with the word of God. And these oracles, according to the Bible, are lively. They're living. Look at um, uh, Romans 3. Romans 3. We have the living word from the living God. That is a tremendous blessing. Romans 3 verses 1 and 2. What advantage then hath the Jew, or what profit is there of circumcision, much every way, chiefly because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. So who received these oracles? Jews. Israel. And, and uh, I don't recall the verse offhand, but uh, uh, in the Old Testament, as a passage that says it, uh, in referring to God giving his word to Israel, he says that God has dealt with no other people that way. He dealt with Israel that way. And that's, that's the source of our Bible, of the Word of God. Look at Hebrews 5. Two more stops and we'll take a break. Hebrews 5, let's look at this quickly. Get Hebrews 5 and also get 1 Peter 4. I don't want to waste any of your time. Some of you are excited to walk down that hill and back up before the next session. Right, okay, no, all right, Hebrews five verses twelve through fourteen for when for the for when for the time, ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, don't be that person don't don't be the Christian that never grows, that never understands, that never <clears throat> that 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 just kind of you just kind of you're, you're there, you exist right uh. Which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe, but strong meat belongeth to them that are full of age, of full age, even those who, by reason of use, have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. First Peter um, chapter four, verses 10 and 11. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Now you put this together. All right. Jesus rose from the dead. Right? Everybody here believe that? Mm-hmm. Right, I hope you believe that. You don't you got we got another problem when you deal with it. So, Jesus rose from the dead, showed himself by many infallible proofs. Where is that recorded? In the Bible, right? So then Jesus is walking with men along the Damascus road, and what does he do? He opens the Bible and tells them from Moses all the way to here, everything concerning himself. And so now we have here, and we could go through that whole progression, everything we just read, and it builds up to this verse. The Lord said, look back at verse 11. And if any man speak, let him speak as of the, of the oracles of God. And then look down at the, at the second half of the verse, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ. So if the Bible is about Jesus, and the Bible testifies of Jesus when we humble ourselves and we go out and we preach Jesus from where? The Bible. We glorify and we honor God. And we're right. We're teaching truth, not our opinion. Now, I know that's simplistic, but it is unbelievably important And it's not happening in most of the world that claims to be Christian. Our tradition is, our ancestors said, our history says, our constitution says, everything everything in the world that we have but the word of God says this. And it's wrong. Open that book and show them who Jesus is.